all the kiddos, 11 and under. We're starting a whole new series, a whole new thing for you. So all the kids 11 and under, you guys are going to have fun with Miss Ann. See you later. Everybody say bye. Bye. Great stuff. You guys want to sing that one more time? We'll sing it one more time. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? We'll sing that one more time. It's one of my favorite songs I'm going to sing in heaven. Packets, other people's get hurt from the Lord. <laughs> Sorry, we don't have visitor packets for you. I've... Jim, that's awesome, man. I uh, wanted to start this morning on a, on a new thing. We're, uh, the kids on up, some of you maybe don't know this, but we do uh, a scoped sequence where the adults are learning the same thing as the kids are learning. So everyone from the littles all the way up to the bigs are all learning the exact same thing. I, we don't want to, one thing that really irritates me is when churches uh, segregate, and we're horrible at segregation in the church, 
um, uh, we segregate ages and we do this. And uh, uh, I, I just believe that it's important as a family for a family to raise a family, don't you? And uh, Ann, Ann and the team down there that uh, is working, we're starting a new series from Answers in Genesis. And it's really bringing everything back to uh, its foundations. It's interesting how we're in 2016, and I think the world, I think the church is more lost than the world. And the reason I say that is because if you go to churches across America, um, you don't see the foundations of people even understanding the very basics of Scripture. You know, can I go back to when I grew up? When I grew up, anybody ever said that before? When I was growing up, you know, when I was growing up, I had this. Uh, this uh, beautiful old lady by the name of Ruth Schultz. Some of you may know her, and uh, she was a she was a plug. She was a spark plug. And you know, we learned scripture. We learned uh, the books of the Bible. We learned to use this thing. And I don't know if you know where I'm going today, but we're going with the Word of God and building our foundations on the Bible. And you go to church nowadays. Heck, you don't even need a Bible. Some days you might even have pastors that don't even open scripture to talk about the Bible. Uh, we've gotten to a place in life where we don't need the Bible. We've gotten to a place where, again, we have our successes and we have our things that we do, but we're not grounded in the Word of God. We just base everything on our own reality. And this is my reality right now, and this is what I need. We don't base anything on Scripture. And I, and I say that with a broad stroke. There's many churches that are doing great things. So I want you to know, it's a very broad stroke. There are wonderful churches uh, that, are, that are preaching the Gospel, but... It's funny to me, there's something that I've done intentionally at our church. Um, I, I try to avoid as much as possible the stage effects, because I can't outdo the world. How many can you agree with that? I can't outdo Star Wars. Like, we can't do that here. What we can do is give something that Star Wars can't, and that's death. And I deliberately don't put scriptures on the screen, is because I want people to actually move these onion skin pages around. If you have a Bible real quick, can you do that? Make a little noise. Hear that? Do you hear that? Just, just, I know it's kind of a funny little thing, but it's trivial. Isn't it amazing? Now, some of us have gone digital. I use this app called the, the Bible app. How many of you have an app on your phone you use? And some of you will open that scripture up. I love that. In fact, there are times I just shared, uh, Nate was on my heart last week, and I saw a verse there, and I wanted to send it his way, so I hope I didn't wake him up that night. He's probably been snoring. But I sent them a verse off, and it's great, this Bible app, by the way. You can take a verse of Scripture, and you can put a background effect to it. And I, I look like an artist. I look like Mike Roberts there. Yeah. I was like, I don't even need Mike anymore. No, just kidding. Mike's an awesome design guy. But I sent that off. You can copy and paste the Scripture, put it on all these cool things, and it's just a beautiful thing. The Bible app does that, but, but Scripture in general, we have got to get back into Scripture. I wanted us to understand, standing on a firm foundation, if you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Do you know there was a time in the church, in the dark ages, and when the Catholic Church first started out, where if you carried, if you were involved, with only, only the elect few could touch this. Do you know that? Maybe you didn't know that. Turn to you did you know that? You know, you have places now, they still, they, they, it's, it's standoffish. This is holy writ, and only educated men can, you know, write this or read this. Folks, let me tell you something. There is some of the most simplest concepts in the world. Do you remember when Jesus preached? It wasn't hard to understand what he was saying, was it? Love your neighbor, you know, all these simple concepts, the Beatitudes, all these things. But do you know what they annoy? They annoy our flesh. That's what they do. So they're good words, they're simple a baby, a little kid can understand it, 
But the wisest adult could sit there and go, wow, this is amazing. And we grab from it and, and, we, and, we, and we glean from it. I, I, as you're holding your thumb there, I wanted to show you this. Um, this was my, probably one of my most favorite gifts of all time for my parents. Now, I, my parents have always blessed us at Christmas. It's always fun at Christmas at the Laps house. I love stuff. My parents spoiled our socks off. I loved it. It was great. But one year... My parents did something pretty awesome for me. It was, uh, I still have this. I don't use this Bible anymore because I'm actually, I've lost pages uh, of this from high school all the way, carried this all the way to Bible school. This went in my bag. It was everywhere I went. I've got all these different notes and promises and all these kinds of things. But the bottom line is I looked at it the other day. I kept all this and I said, man, this was Christmas 1992. And I know, Dad. 1992. And I was sitting in the shower and I was going, 93, 94, 95. What's 24 years of that? Is that right? 24 years. I recounted again. I'm a finger counter. 24? Oh my gosh. And you know what's amazing through all the years with this Bible that my parents gave me with? They, they wrote a beautiful personal note in here. Uh, where is that note that they, they gave me? Hey, I'll read it. I don't mind. If I can get through it. Jeremiah 33 3 was the promise that uh, see, God's hand is upon your life. It's so easy to see your hunger for him is a blessing to your dad and me. May your hunger and your openness to God continue to grow. May your thirst for his wisdom and his touch. May the Holy Spirit empower you and fill you with his presence. And may his anointing for your life, for the ministry of God on your life. That was back in 92, folks. And uh, I don't say that. What I just want to show you is that it doesn't matter what your age is. A young person, old person alike. You can find God right now where you're at. He is as close as the mention of His name. And I think when the Bible starts to, people start to talk about the Bible, and, and we're going to go on some things here today, and we're going to go on some roads of reading the Bible and things. Not every one of us is a great reader. I'll be the first to tell you. I love ministry. I love people. I love God. Nobody loves people more than I do. But I will tell you this. I struggle with reading. Can I get a hearty amen from some fellows up in here? So it's hard. So we get standoffish. And what ends up happening with us with Scripture is we end up going, well, I don't understand it. I don't do this. And my challenge to you today is this. Don't stop there. You know, and my goal today is for us not to get into a situation where we have our quiet time checklist with, with, with Scripture. And, well, I didn't read the Bible today, so I'm a failure. Folks, the Word of God is hidden in your heart. And there are times where I didn't pick up my Bible, but you know what was being picked up? My heart was being picked apart, and I was proclaiming some things from God. I didn't need to open my Bible. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pastor, you're supposed to read for two hours a day of the Bible. So let's get past all that religious garb, and let's, let's understand developing a love for Scripture and what it is. I love what Psalm 1 declares, and it says this, the godly person is likened to a well-watered tree. That's how it starts out, Psalm does. We're going to be studying in Psalm today, in Psalm uh, 19, we're going to see how important Scripture is for our life. Let's make sure that we become well-watered trees, that we're not 
dry cisterns, but we're full of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it says this in verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Folks, what I want us to get today in a very pluralistic, socialistic society, folks, the Word of God is the foundation for mankind. We have people trying to rewrite and change it. I think the United Nations are trying to actually develop a translation of Scripture that will be politically correct for all to enjoy, right? We have Chrislam out there, which blends all these religions and, and all these wordings and changes wordings from the original Hebrew to make it com- mean something completely different. Folks, we can't change the Word of God. First word, great, you can't change this. The Word of God is our foundation. There's two words I want you to understand in developing an understanding of Scripture. If you're not in God's Word right now, I want to entreat you. I want to tantalize you with some things. Number one, in all of your struggles and what you're going through, what to go to, every one of us, by the way, goes to something to get something, right? You're not going to the Bible. You're going somewhere else. You're going to this thing or that thing to find the answer. Whatever it is, we find our own answers, don't we? But how many of you know there's only one answer? Inerrancy. Everyone say inerrancy. inerrancy. The inerrancy of Scripture means that the, in the original copies of each manuscript written by each Bible book's respective author, there was nothing mistaken or tinged with an error. Amen. Even literary critics who claim no faith in the uh, truth of the Bible attest to its being the most completely reliable of any book transmitted from any antiquity in terms of its actually remaining unchanged and dependably accurate. Do you know what your archaeologists do when they go for digs over in the Bible lands? They bring a Bible. They walk around. And they use this scripture to actually find what they're looking for. Paul's shipwreck. In the Bible, where it was, where it happened. They brought the Bible out and they found evidences of Paul's shipwreck that was described in the Bible. Folks, these aren't cute stories in here. These aren't fairy tales. You know, right now, Kelsey's in her little production. That's a fairy tale, Peter Pan. God is not Peter Pan, folks. These aren't cute little things that we tell our kids and we're like, well, that's not true. No, Noah's flood was a true event in life. Moses' parting of the Red Sea was a true event in life. Jesus Christ, when time changed, when it went from B.C. to A.D., Jesus Christ, the historical figure, was a time and place. It really happened. And there are countless thousands of witnesses that can attest to the testimony of Scripture and its inerrancy. I heard a congregational church with a postboard thing on the side of a bus say, we take the Bible seriously, not literally. Now folks, that's the biggest bunch of hogwash there ever was. We take the Bible seriously and we take it literally. You can't have one without the other. You can't piece and parcel what you don't like. 
There are those Christians now who don't like the concept of hell. Right? We don't talk about hell here. Yes, we do. And that life apart from Christ is an eternity in hell. Many doctrines get thrown out the book because we don't like it. The inerrancy of Scripture. How about this? The other word that we must understand when we go to Scripture and when we go to the Holy Text. Infallibility. Everyone say infallibility. It refers to the fact that the Bible is unfailing as an absolutely trustworthy guide to our faith, belief in God and practice and life and behavior. Folks, if you want behavior to change in your life, if you want to change certain things that are happening in your mind, if you want to change things in your heart, the only way you can do it is not by jumping into self-help clubs. You need to get to the health club of all health clubs and have God tear those structures down that you've established in your heart. There's new structures for us to establish. And if you want to live the old way, and if you want to live according to the world, and if you want to take this mishmash and compare it and prop it with every other cute little book out there, then this will never change your mind. I challenge you today, if you have problems reading, for me, I can't just pick up a nonfiction book. For me, when I read, it's got to have a purpose to it. I don't read for fun, sorry. My sister, my mom, they can read Gone with the Wind in two days. No, I'm just kidding. They just love reading. I'm like, whenever I read, I, I get a chapter done and I go, how many pictures are in here? There's no pictures. So I have to read. I have to challenge myself. And you're going to have to challenge yourself too to get out of the boat of Lethargy. And just giving up. Let me tell you what the Russian dictionary, by the way, defines the Bible as. As a collection of fantastic legends without scientific support. It is full of dark hints, historical mistakes, and contradictions. It serves as a factor for gaining power and subjugating unknowing nations. You know, we look at all that and we go, whoa, that's man, that's horrible. I want to ask you how you personally look at your Bible. You know, because if we're going to take the Bible seriously, if we're going to take church seriously, if we're going to take God seriously, you can't take God and separate Him from His Word. You can't take, well, I want God, I want Jesus to bless my life, and, and then take Scripture and pick out of it what you choose. Now, you can choose churches that way, you can take your opinion, which is it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. But I'm presupposing that you're at this church is because you want a Bible-believing church that preaches the Word of God in its full totality. Correct? Maybe I'm assuming too much. No. How do you approach your Bible? So if you don't approach your Bible with that presupposition that the inerrancy of Scripture, which is every dot and tittle, everything is accounted for, it's perfect, there is no errors there accounted for, then you can trust it, can't you? But if you go to Scripture and you're facing and you're looking at it, and there's nothing wrong with questions and there's nothing wrong with doubts, take all your doubts to God. Any, are anybody have any questions about the Bible in here? Can you raise your hand? Good, I have a lot of questions. I really will. And it won't be that Adam and Eve have belly buttons. I promise you that. No. Who can hear it? John Wycliffe, by the way, how important your Bible was, it is. 
John Wycliffe was banished as Oxford's professor of divinity and branded as an instrument of the devil, the author of Schism, but he was to win world acclaim for his masterful translation of the scriptures into the English vernacular. That translation not only infused a depth and beauty into English language, but imparted to all who read it good news of God's saving grace. That's what reading the Bible is all about. Having been driven into virtual exile by the hypocritical alliance of the church and state authorities, he knew full well they would unite to destroy his translation of the Bible. Therefore, with a bold defiance of all their threats and evil imagining against him, Wycliffe wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, This Bible is translated and shall make possible a government of the people by the people and for the people. Little did he know that 500 years later his words would be immortalized by the president of a new government founded on the shores of a new continent as he arose to dedicate a blood-drenched battlefield. That's Wycliffe. 500 years before our country's founding, he says, this Bible is translated and shall make possible a government of the people by the people and for the people. How do you look at your Bible? It's not just a good book. It's not grammars. It's, it was never meant to sit on a shelf, folks, and be part of your decorum at your house. It was meant to be lived. It was meant to go after. Folks, don't be scared of it. And if, if 1992 Steve Lapp wasn't scared of it, then you don't have to be scared of it. And what I mean by scared of it is this the... Just, well, do I understand? Will I understand it? You'll understand it because the Holy Spirit will teach you. And He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. And He'll answer the questions. And you'll have questions that you don't have. Job had a lot of questions, didn't he? Job, with all his problems, he started pointing his finger at God. God, this and that. And God said, hey, Job, I've got some questions for you. Where were you when I hung the earth? On nothing. Job didn't have many more questions after that. We serve an eternal God that has given us scriptures for life, that has given us wisdom that we can break bread for. We don't have to chase after this person and after that person. We don't have to run to this bookstore and that bookstore. We have the greatest book we can ever have in our house, and some of us have five and six of them. How do you approach your Bible God's word is our standard, by the way. Joseph Campbell wrote this. There's perhaps nothing worse than reaching the top of the ladder and discovering that you're on the wrong wall. See, a lot of us, we've climbed our ladders, whether it's success or power or going after this, whatever it is, we all have ladders we've climbed. And when we get there, many of us have realized, how many of you were climbing ladders in life and you realized that was the wrong ladder to be climbing? This is not share time, just so you know. This is teaching time. Thank you. <laughs> what standards do we choose to live by today? You know, it's funny. I, uh, when it came to reading text, how many like getting a text? You read text. They're pretty quick. You get lots of text. We, I'll text my wife back and forth for quick things, grocery stuff, all those kinds of things. And it was funny, um, I was out running errands with Hunter, we were doing some things, and Ann had texted me, she said, did you get my text? I said, no, I didn't get the text. And so I ran back out and 
got what I needed. We had to pick something up for Kelsey somewhere close for a play. And I, I was in such a hurry. How many get in a hurry for life? You know, we get in a hurry. That's our first excuse for the Bible reading. Is we say, oh, I'm just too, you know, it's too busy. Because we spent three hours on the television and an hour on our Facebook. Uh-oh. So, we're... I'm grabbing the text. I'm in a hurry. I'm getting out of the car. And all I see on the text is Forest Plaza. So immediately my thoughts are Forest Plaza, Coles. Every, we, go, we, we go to Coles. We love Coles. Doesn't everyone here love Coles? I love Coles. We go to Coles. I walk into Coles. And I'm not even reading the text. And I'm going, then as I walk into Coles, I turn, I get in there, and I finally get down to actually read the complete text. And it's the pay less at Forest Plaza. And I go, oh, I get back in my car, we're in a hurry. If I just would have read the complete text, I would have saved myself all the stress. I was getting ready to call her and say, where are we, what are we talking about here? And we get that way with God when we read text, don't we? We read bits and pieces of the scripture, we get mad and say, it doesn't work, this or that, and we're not reading the complete text of scripture. We're going through life, we're in a hurry, we're not looking down, we grab nuggets if we want to call it. And then we go through and man, this didn't do anything for me. Read the text. So often we're looking for ways around reading the Bible. I think many of us would prefer to have the Bible on cliff notes. The Bible is not cliff notes. You could never use the Bible in cliff notes. And wherever you are in your reading, I challenge you. You know, we just passed out these devotionals this week, I think. Did everyone get a little devotional thing? Those are devotionals. The church spends money every month so that we can have daily readings and we can get into Scripture and so that for a guidepost in developing standards for our life, we can open those devotions up. Uh, and, and even if you're in a hurry that day, you get up late, you can still grab things and go after it. But it's important for us to understand that when we're climbing ladders and when we're getting successful in life, we must understand how the Scripture defines that success and the standard by which we set. Gene Edwards writes... And all of our lives, there is the will of God, then there is, of course, our will. Unconsciously, we think that these two will match. See, we have the will of God, the mind of God, and then we have our own minds. How many of you had things in your life where you kind of made up your mind about something and you realized, well, that has nothing to do with the mind of God for me? And so for all of us in our life, we need to understand that when we read Scripture, we start developing and we start putting on the mind of Christ for us so that we can have that standard in our life. In all our lives, there is the will of God. And then there is, of course, our will. And unconsciously, we're assuming that the two will just automatically match up. To know Christ is to give Him the opportunity to deal with the difference between who we are right now and the person that He wants to transform us to be. The only reason we read this Scripture is for it to change us, folks. When you go to the Scripture and when you go to the changing part of Scripture, when we read this, we're not looking for it to pat us on the back necessarily, although we'll do that. We're not looking for it to really give us some firepower behind what we're going to do. Do you know what Scripture should ultimately do? It should continually break us. Humble us. It should ultimately mold and shape us. It you know, because you have the, the, the situation where we talk about the new wine skin going or new wine going into old wineskins. So often in life, God is wanting to give us fresh things, but because we're pouring it into the old wineskins, there can't be change. It can't handle it. So we have to change our structures and how we think and how we have developed and change those patterns altogether. 
We must be broken before we can be built up. And that's the hard part for all of us with Scripture, isn't it? We've got to be broken first before we can be built up. God's not going to take the old stuff and start piling on top of the new stuff. That would be, that would be really bad. You know, I don't know about you, but when you've done demos or remodeling, I've seen people that have just kind of covered things up. I remember we did our remodel on our bathroom floor, and we had like five layers of tile on our floor. I mean, one layer off, the next layer off, and the next layer off, and then we got down to the bottom of it, and there was chicken wire and concrete. And that's how old the place was. In layers of it. And what we do with the Bible is we put layers of the Bible on top of structure that just needs to come out. And that's how the Bible speaks about deliverance and getting, getting rid of those things and those old mind habits. We put good on top of old. And I sat there I'm like, why wouldn't they just take the extra hour just to get rid of the dumb stuff? The scriptures are not meant to put a fresh coat of paint over old junk. We must be broken before we can be built up. The Bible says it like this, line upon line, and precept upon precept. Say, man, how am I going to get changed? It's a really long, long, long. Everyone say, long. Long road. See, at Turning Point Church, no one here has arrived. Can you get an amen there? At Turning Point Church, no one has arrived. Now, some might have been down the road a lot further. In fact, look around and find somebody that's been down the road a little further than you, because they're going to help you. And if you're not around people who haven't been down the road further than you, folks, you're not looking for cute buddies in the Christian palace system. You're looking for people that will save you from death. It's a very long, slow process. Change doesn't happen overnight. Do you know, our, we're not even capable of changing. Do you know how, how we are with our conscience and where we're at? We don't even know all the depth of the sin that we're dealing with. And you know the beauty of the love of Christ? Is when God is speaking to us, He takes care of one thing at a time in our life. He works on those things. The grace of God covers those things. It, it, he shelters us. He gives us those allowances, however you want to call it, but grace is a beautiful thing and we all need it every second of our lives. And so as Jesus Christ changes us, He challenges us, and our standards are raised up. See, the problem with the church is now we we really don't have standards. We're all just a fun club. We all just get along. But there's not the change and there's not the dynamic and the needing to change and to get into the depth of Christ. And that's where the standards happen. Transformation. I believe one of the reasons is is because we have low commitments. Half-baked options. You know, one of the things we open up for people, in fact, all the busyness, you know, we have one of the guys in our men's Bible study, and their stories in the women's, but one of the guys actually will leave work in the middle of his shift, come back there, he works third shift, he'll come to Bible study to get into the Word of God, he'll take like an hour or an hour and a half to get into Scripture to go back to work that night. That takes commitment. And you know people who say, man, this is hard, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's hard. This is not supposed to be easy. Life isn't easy. You know, you think about people chasing degrees and staying up for hours to type their syllabuses and all this kind of stuff. Wasn't that hard? And I don't know where we came. 
came across with reading the scripture was supposed to be like nursery rhymes all day long. It needs transformation and we must have a long and intense development process. In fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to know my heart here. I don't, I'm not heaping guilt. I don't want to heap any kind of thing. I want you to say to start trying to get up and try. To get up and go after this. Ephesians 4, 17-24 So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance. That is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you've learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him with the accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. I love how they say that, the attitude of your mind. How many have had a bad attitude before? funny, man, when you need to get a hard reset, if you're going into a situation and you've and you're got a bad attitude, it's time to turn that around and say, God, give me the right attitude. At work, if you're just all cross towards someone or cross towards this person or that, man, it's time for you to go back, deflate, and say, Lord, man, just help me to have a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of understanding. Help me to have the right attitude. And that's the hard part with it. Because that's what Scripture will do. Scripture will identify those things and those low commitments and us just barely squeaking by in life. I don't want Turning Point to be a group of Christians that are barely squeaking by. We are bigger than that. We are bigger than that. I'm not asking all of us to memorize your Bible by tomorrow. I'm not. I'm asking you to dive in. I'm not asking you to to go get a degree in pastoral theology. I'm asking you to be the best cotton-picking Christian God has called you to be. And that takes transformation. And that does take hard work. Paul said, I beat my body into submission. I beat my body into submission. Folks, our body, our flesh wants stuff, man. Yesterday it was crazy. I mean, beating my physical body into submission is one thing, but beating your spiritual body... You know, the Bible says this, physical exercise profits little, but man, doing the spiritual exercise, that does a whole lot. Because that's for eternity. And I'm glad you got a great blood pressure and low cholesterol, and you're just right in there. But man, how is your spirit? I'm glad you took your vitamins today, but there's bigger vitamins out there for you that you can take. Throw off your old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Bible literacy. George Barner writes this. Bible knowledge and application must completely influence a person's mind and heart in order for them to achieve spiritual maturity. You know, it's crazy. I was reading with Hunter the Bible story of Philip and the Ethiopian 
Remember that? He was on the road, and all of a sudden, Philip shows up next to this guy, and this guy's in a chariot. He's a uh, spokesperson for the queen. He's a powerful man. And he's reading Isaiah, and he's reading about what Jesus did. And he turns to Philip, and he says, what is this stuff all about? Who is it? What is this all about? Is this the person reading it? That person writing it is about him? He's like, no, this is about Jesus Christ. How can someone understand without a preacher? The Bible declares that we need to understand the Word of God and for it to change us. And once that man heard the Scripture, it wasn't Philip that suggested this. That man got out of the chariot and he said, I can get baptized right now. Why can't we just water right over here? Why can't we just do it right here, right now? Do you know what I love? Is when the people get grabbed by the Spirit of Christ and the Word of God starts to change them. I love what happened the other day with Nate. I don't know if you saw it, but Nate comes up and we have people coming up for prayer. Nate comes up there. He puts his hand on it. It was a beautiful thing. The body of Christ stretching out and doing things they've never done before. I promise you, Nate had never done that before. Because the Word of God changes people and they realize that this reality of Scripture, it's alive, it's powerful, it's active, and it brings change to thoughts and minds. The Ethiopian on the chariot, a very wealthy, powerful man, realized that he needed Christ in that moment of Scripture reading. And he realized the change. And in that moment he came to Christ and was baptized. By the way, we'll be doing a little side plug here. We'll be, we will be doing a baptismal service, and if you've never had believer's baptism or want to recommit there, come talk to me. I'd like to get you really wet and full of Jesus. <laughs> plan for spiritual growth. That's got to be a plan for you. You know, if, if Bible reading hasn't been something for your life, you're going to have to be very practical about it. You can't think really spiritual about it. What I mean by that is you can't wait for you to wake up going, I can't wait to read my Bible. I'm at church and Sandra's singing. <laughs> can't wait for little doves to fly by and a hand to come out of the sky and say, My beloved son, come, read thine Bible. Won't happen. All of us have heard this, be spiritual, pray a great deal, read your Bible two hours a day, be good, do not sin. How many have failed at any of all of those? Can I show it? Oh, gosh. Good. He said it like this. Let's try another approach. First, spend a few seconds with the Lord. Second, keep doing this until you arrive at a point where you naturally spend a little more time with Him. Eventually, you will find that place within you that is calm, a place where a whisper of his name matches what is going on in your spirit. Those brief moments are real. Those moments interspersed throughout the day can transform you. When all else fails, try filling in the cracks of the day approach. You might be surprised that the Lord of 15 seconds becomes the Lord of even more. Isn't that great? What a relaxing thing. You know, I, I kind of liken it to my relationship with my wife. I can text her, I can call her and say, hey, I love you. You know, it's a really beautiful thing. If you want to start a prayer out with the Lord, just say, Lord, I love you. In fact, why don't you just close your eyes for a moment and just whisper that to him. Maybe you haven't said it in weeks. Just, Lord, I love you. It'll settle your mind. It'll settle your thoughts. You put things aside. It's, you can open your eyes again. 
It's a place where the whisper of his name matches what is going on in your spirit. You know, it's kind of funny for me, too. I, I, I'd like to tell you that I sit there for two hours and I'm floating and worshiping every second of the day, but Pastor Steve doesn't do that. One of my most profound moments with the Lord is in the shower. Trust me, it really is a powerful place. It's a quiet place. And it's interesting how if you have some quiet places that the Lord will take you to places you never thought possible. All of a sudden I'm in the shower, I put the old spice on. And Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden I start thinking of people that need prayer. I'm like, I didn't even think of praying for that person. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. You could be teaching at a school, you could be sweeping a broom, you could be at the desk doing your work, and it's a beautiful thing. You can't quit work, by the way, just because the Lord's speaking to you. Right? I gotta quit, I gotta go prayer. You get back to work, buddy. <laughs> Unless that prayer starts paying the bills, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you begin to want more. You begin to want more when you start to read the Bible. And realize that it's alive and active, that God wants to speak to you like he did Moses and Aaron and Naomi and Miriam and Joseph and John. Oh, does it start to change you. When you start to realize that the God spoke to that these prophets and prophetesses and all these women and men in scripture and did these great things that he wants to do some of the most fantastic things for you, then that starts to change your perception of Bible reading and prayer and all sorts of things. By the way, when it comes to prayer, please put your prayer list down for a moment. It's nauseating. Be with Jesus. And if he calls you to pray for someone, great. But I don't have a grocery list for Ann every day. Ann, how was your day? Good. All right, I know we're praying for this. Jesus is already praying for your stuff. All I want us to do is get back to the place where we're in love with Jesus. Because what we do with our list is we prioritize what we think the top of the list is. And God might be wanting to change the fourth thing on your list. Because the fourth thing on your list might be the door opener for the first thing on your list. Be careful when you dive into Christ and the power of prayer that He just might shake you up. And our religious formations and traditions, He might mess the whole thing up. And you might get a chance to pray and break through the ice and the coldness that we had before of a distant God and realize that He's very warm and as close as the mention of His name. There comes a place in your life where you realize, I want more. I want more. Turn to someone real quick and say, I want more. You start to crave God more. You start to want God more. And with that, you will break the status quo in the church. Do you know what the first person on scene was before Christ? That was the servant of all, the prophet. It was John the Baptist. And he did not work well in the synagogues, folks. He broke the mold. He broke the ice. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And there was fire in his belly and he preached the word of God and he was with God. It was disruptive. It was challenging. It convicted. Gene Edwards writes, be advised, a wholehearted and committed pursuit of a practical walk with the Lord 
will raise questions in your mind about the ways of the traditional church. You will wonder why the depths of Christ are so little known in the church. Anybody been there before? Why is the Holy Spirit not moving and shaking more? Isn't there more? Isn't there more? You know, I've been in church services. I'll never forget when I had left the other, the other church. Me and Ann resigned in Poplar Grove, and we were at a church service, and I was sitting there in the chair, and I couldn't do it. I wanted to be up there. It wasn't that I... It was just, I wanted to go at it, and I think we took two weeks off, and we were back at this again. It was funny. We thought we might have a little reprieve, and there was no reprieve. I couldn't do it. But guys, it's going to be one of those things where, like the prophet said for you, and again, in all your jobs, wherever you're at, that you're not going to be able to sit there anymore. That you're going to be like fire shut up in my bones. You're going to have things shaking you and changing you, and you're saying, why are things this way in my home? Why are these things this way over here? And you won't just accept the social norms for your life. You won't just accept the normal patterns that you'll pray bigger, that you'll think bigger, that you'll achieve bigger because Christ in you the hope of glory. A.W. Tozer wrote about the church needing rejuvenation. If Christianity is to receive a rejuvenation, it must be by other means that are being used. If the church in the second half of the 20th century is to recover from the injuries she suffered in the first half, there must appear a new type of preacher. The proper ruler of the synagogue type will never do. Neither will the priestly type of the man who carries out his duties, taking his pay and asking no questions, nor the smooth-talking pastoral type who knows how to make the Christian religion acceptable to everyone. All these have been tried and found wanting. Another kind of religious leader must arrive among us. He must be the old prophet type, a man who has seen visions from God and has heard a voice from the throne. When he comes, and I pray there will not be one but many, he will stand in flat contradiction, denounce and protest in the name of God, and will earn hatred and opposition of a large segment of Christendom. Folks, that's the idea of Bible reading. So what does that have to do with anything? This Bible will mess you This Bible will shake you up. That is why this Bible still to this day is the number one best-selling book. Because people long for it and people need it. I don't want to drag this out, but again, all of us becoming prophets and all of us want having the voice of God, we get that through the Word of God and adjusting ourselves to that. Jeremiah 27, he said this, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 27, 11, he says, God, you are stronger than I am. You have overpowered me. There comes a place when all our stubbornness and all of our know-how, folks, us Americans, technology has become our God. We know how. We know how to fix this and do that, but we don't know how to fix sin's curse over mankind. Technology and apps will never change that. More money poured into something won't change that. You are stronger than I am and you have overpowered me. You'll get to the place when you start reading your Bible and when you engage it in a different way. Maybe you've read your Bible and you haven't engaged it that way anymore. You start to open the Scripture and you start to say, God, it's not about reading a chapter. 
It's not about reading a book. God, it's about allowing your word, line upon line, to change me. Folks, there might be something in there that is so simple and so unique that you've read over and over again, and all of a sudden you're awakened to it, and it brings change. You're overwhelmed by God. Haven't you heard a message or a verse before time and time again? And it's just interesting how that same verse of Scripture changes on you in a way, and all of a sudden it has a totally different application for you. Don't ever get to the place where you know your way around the Bible good enough. Don't ever get to the place where you're comfortable with that. What I mean by that is I just mean walk carefully into the throne room of grace with boldness and say, God, I, I, the fear of the Lord, I tremble. God, change me. What is there? Is there any sinful thing? Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything you need to adjust in my, in my sails? And I'm not trying to sound crazy, but you know what? Every once in a while I'll say, Lord... Is there any scriptures you're directing me to? How many have prayed that before? Isn't it neat sometimes how you, how you, God will reveal a scripture to you? Do you know what's happening, by the way, in all the craziness of the world where people are not even getting the Bible? Do you know uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and I get their magazine publication every month, and what they're doing with the Bible is so precious to them. South Korea is free, North Korea is not. And what they'll do is they'll have these parachute things, and they'll build these big parachute systems with boxes of New Testament Bibles, and they will send them across the border and pray over them. God send them where they need to go. The Bible is a changing thing. I have one more story for you today. I was reading a story about a Mexican pastor. And uh, he was really scared and concerned because the Mexican government didn't like what he was preaching. And he wasn't so concerned about going to this one type of jail because he said, well, they beat you with some rods for a day and then you go home. I'm okay with that. I'm like, what? How are you? <laughs> what? He's like, but I don't want to go to the federal prison because he just basically buried there. So they trumped up some charges against him. He goes to jail, and it was a horrible jail so that he was to go to. He walks in there, the guard walks him in there, and they showed him to this one guy. This guy caused a lot of problems, did a lot of junk. And he said, here you go, this guy's for you. And the guy looks at this pastor and he says, why are you in here? He goes, because I'm a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, and I preach the gospel. And he goes, don't bother me, the guy never touched him. And the funny thing was, he went into a, a bunk where the single light was. Nobody wanted to be there because it was never dark at night. They, they didn't want to be there, but it gave him the opportunity. He snuck a Bible into the jail cell, and he was able to read his Bible there the whole time. And through that, he had a pat down, and another situation happened where the guards didn't pat him down, and he had the New Testament. And then he met with his lawyer, and the lawyer called him, and he said, what should we bring you? And he says, I want you to bring two things, bring a box of New Testaments and plastic spoons. He said, why the spoons? He goes, because men are eating rice every day and they're going crazy eating it out of their hands and want them to have a clean spoon. All of a sudden he walks in there, he walks past the guard, he's like, what's that box? And he goes, these are New Testament. He gave it to that guard and the guard was saved. Folks, I guess I get to that point here is that that New Testament, that Bible, changes people for eternity. You have more power in your hand than you give credit to. And it'll change your home forever. But you're going to have to think practically now. And you're going to have to go home. And you're going to have to set some things up. You're going to have to put some things in certain places. Just like what I do with nutrition, I put things in certain places so I remember. With my Bible and all those things, they're all, they have to be placed certain places. They have to, it has to be intentional for you now. You can't be incidental. You can't wait for God to wake you up. But you must go after it. Amen? And with this, my wife does these things every so often. I challenge you. We did this with the youth. But Ann made these little post-it notes for these kids. We were doing a thing on the studying the Bible. And it's a simple, I love post-it notes. Technology will never take these away. 
I wish I would have bought stock in these. One verse is, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Set an example in speech and life and faith and purity. Don't say, I'll get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Maybe somebody here wants to take one of these home to put it up there, but I challenge you to make Scripture practical again. Don't, don't stand away from this anymore. You didn't stand away from your degree. You didn't stand away from college. You didn't stand away from education. You didn't stand away from any of that. But you're going to put some post-notes out, and you're not going to get real again. Why don't we end with prayer? First and foremost, before we dive in to the Word of God, Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus through Scripture is woven through Scripture and the message of the Gospel from the Old to the New Testament all the way back from the Genesis to Revelation as the King of Kings. Jesus came to earth as a real man to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. The Bible declares that sin has separated us from him. And that we're in need of a Savior. And today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you want to know this wonderful, powerful Jesus. And you do want Him to change your life. You've tried climbing ladders, only to find that you've climbed the wrong wall. And the great thing is, you don't have to climb this ladder of salvation. Jesus has climbed down to meet you right on the ground. Today there's a wonderful gift of grace that Jesus Christ is offering to you. And today, if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please raise your hand. And I want to pray that sinner's prayer with you today if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second part of this is very simply, God is maybe pricking you and again, I don't want us to drum up reading more or doing this or routines, but you simply have been challenged. Maybe there has been a wall block. So this is very specific. There's been a wall block between you and diving into the Word of God. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This just simply has to do with your daily dedication and giving yourself to Him. And today that wall is coming down and Jesus is speaking to you and saying, dive into these. Dive into it. You may not understand it. You may not get it. It's okay. I'm going to lead and I'm going to guide you. Today if that's you and you say, you know what? God's calling me. I need to dive into his word and allow it to change me and to change my will. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you beautiful work God does as he starts to break down those mental barriers in our own minds. Why don't we all pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving me your word. You are the word. And you live in me. I ask God that you teach me and that you guide me. As I open the Bible, I allow it to do a new work in me. Thank you, God, for transforming me.
for transforming my mind. I am going to allow your Bible to change my mind and to change my life change my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Folks, I want to pray with you. It's a beautiful thing, those of you who have just grabbed onto that. But make it very simple. Get that Bible by you. Grab that devotional. Bring that devotional. Throw it in your lunchbox at work. You know, I have my Bible at my office, and it's up on my shelf because there are times where I need to open a scripture up and just bring it there. Make it very convenient for you because we live in a very convenient society, and yet sometimes it's not convenient, is it? <laughs> but make it very convenient to dive in, and, and don't don't get overwhelmed. Just take it bit by bit. You're going to have days where you're like, man, it's okay. And that's where God comes in and changes and does a wonderful thing. Amen? I love you very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, God bless you really good.